0: Welcome to the Mother of All Movement podcast with me, Catherine Meadows. I'm a women's health trainer specializing in postnatal recovery and a mum to two kids myself. My aim is to inspire and educate through chats with women who are either working through their own movement journey or work to help women get stronger and recover both physically and mentally after having kids. I want to talk about what they do, how they integrate it into their family lives, and essentially, Why? Because I believe when we share our stories and our values, we lift each other up, enabling every mother to fulfil her body's potential, gain confidence in her power, and give her family the best version of her to share their lives with. So join me each week to hear these wonderful women talk about their journey. Welcome to this episode of the podcast, everyone. Thank you for joining me today. I am your host, Catherine Meadows, and I'm absolutely honoured to be chatting today to Sabrina Pace Humphreys, who is a trail runner, motivational speaker, soon to be published author, co-host of the Checkpoint podcast, mum of four, grandmother of three and the co-founder of Black Trail Runners, a community and campaigning group that seeks to increase the inclusion, participation and representation of black people in trail running. Sabrina, so many hats. I can't even believe how busy you are. Thank you so much for giving up some of your very precious time today to chat to me.
1: Oh my goodness, when you say it out loud like that, it kind of makes me realize why I never feel as though I've got enough time in the day (laughs) it's it's funny isn't it you wear all these hats but kind of yeah thank you very much for asking me to be on
0: well and yet you chose a sport that is that takes a lot of time commitment with it as well right yeah I'm
1: trying to figure out today I'm looking out the window as I speak to you I'm trying to figure out when I'm going to get my eight mile tempo run um, um, which has to include a walk in the dog with it as well so yeah adding an element of being an ultra runner and and training for these things kind of adds a whole new dimension to my day
0: yeah so how did you get into running because I, I I have heard this story already and I just think it's so relatable to so many women's stories about where they are at this as sort of post having kids stage and things so tell us a bit more about how you started.
1: Well how I started was I did not come from a sporty background at all so I'm an ordinary woman you know actually I didn't like running at all until 12 years ago I would see people out running as I would be in my car or as I always loved like going to the gym and stuff as a, like a teenager and, a, and, but running was like, absolutely not, not interesting in, in it at all. I'd rather be on the step machine or, or doing anything other than running. And after I had the, my fourth child in my life, I'd always suffered with um, my mental health and very anxious as a child kind of going through depressive states. But after the birth of CC, um, things weren't great uh, with my mental health. And I, at my three month check, which a lot of women have after they have their babies, the doctor was kind of going through various questions with me and and I guess I had a really good doctor and she diagnosed pretty quickly that I was suffering with postnatal depression. I knew that I didn't feel myself and you know, my baby had been tongue tied and that Mm. before she had been diagnosed as being tongue tied, I was feeding her myself and and it was horrendous and I would you know bleeding nipples and and all of that yeah. and and I think when I found out that she was tongue- I was already feeling pretty low anyway because at that time I was also running a business I I had worked right up until the day I had her I the I had gone back like 2 weeks after I'd had her it was just it was just so much going on and I didn't feel it's so weird when you're a woman you say this but like I knew I wasn't myself but I kind of put it down to the fact that I had so much going on in my life but actually how I felt about the baby the feelings I had towards her weren't weren't normal is not the right word but I just I knew that something wasn't right but I wasn't in the right frame of mind to help myself Mm. So yeah, the GP basically diagnosed me and one of the mechanisms she used, in she advised alongside medication and talk therapy, etc., was, Sabrina, why don't you try and do something for yourself that kind of takes you out of the house? What, something like jogging. <laughs> and, like like I like, yeah, wow. and I was like, yeah, and I was like, okay, right, yeah, and wow. left. Thinking There's no way I'm going to do that. But it, even within the two weeks that I had that advice and I didn't take it, like my depression got worse mm. to the point where I was like, you know what, I've, I've got to try something because I can't continue to live feeling like this. It was really dark. And that's how it started. And this was like 12 years ago. That was before Couch to 5k apps. It was before I had never picked up a copy of Runners World because it wasn't me. Yeah. And I remember that day and I talk about it um, in the book that I know we'll discuss later, but I talk about that first run and I was like four and a half stone overweight. I didn't have running shoes. I didn't have any running gear at all. And I, decided to kind of go out for a mile and I knew I couldn't run it all and it was like I'll run for a minute I'll walk for a minute and I swear those minutes where I was running I was it was horrendous I couldn't get a handle on my breathing I couldn't I just felt like a lump getting myself along I was like oh my god I'm gonna fall in the canal because I was running along the canal toe path it was horrendous a friend of mine saw me when I did the turn and he messaged me to say do you need a lift (laughs) Because it looks like it looks like you're gonna die, and and honestly, it was so hard. It was so hard. I remember that day so vividly. But you know what? When I got to the back door, I kind of fell in the back door, and this uh, this tiny little glimmer inside me of like, I did that. Like I did something that even for that, it took me to do a mile like half an hour even for that whole half an hour I was out all I could think about was like what I was doing that sense of like being in the moment I felt that I hadn't felt in normal life because the dark thoughts were so extreme in normal life about how what a failure I was how I couldn't even feed my own child how I didn't know that she'd had this tongue tie how none of my three other kids were getting like just all these things as mothers that we and any mother that suffered with anxiety and, and postnatal depression and, and depression, the things we tell ourselves, I had half an hour of, I couldn't even think about those things because yeah. all I was doing, I can laugh about it now, but all I was doing within that half an hour was like, how am I going to get myself to the end of this, this silly session that I'm doing? I just felt this glimmer of like, I can, I can do that, I can do this, and I can get a bit of headspace. And if I feel that I can walk in a couple of days or a week, maybe I'll have a go at doing it again. Because it was just, it was time for me. Yeah. It was time away from my environment. And that's how it started 12 years ago. It was that, it was that piece of advice from a GP to manage my postnatal depression.
0: I mean, it's amazing that you decided to go out again considering how hard you found as we all do that first run is a total killer and you just think I'm never going to put myself through that ever again but I love the power in what you said about how how involving it was for your body and your mind and how that just gave you a break from the intrusive thoughts and the critical thinking and the anxiety and I think especially given the last couple of years, COVID times, I think we've all experienced that time where you just feel so hemmed in by everything. And even if you don't have any diagnosed anxiety or depression, you have that understanding that actually you just need to take yourself out of the, the situation at home, that you just need to have just a little bit of headspace. And, and and that is exactly what the headspace means, isn't it? Is that ability just to be able to just stop thinking about all of the the ruminating and the worry and everything sort of crowding around you mm. and and exercise running especially gives you that and and you said you went to the gym quite a lot so had you never got that from going to the gym or did you find that you were sort of just going through autopilot when you were at the gym and you I were think able when to
1: I was when I would go to the gym I think that I yeah i was very much on autopilot i was very aware of i guess i was just very aware of my own body and my own sense of self within that environment so Mm. i think a lot of my childhood trauma around and teenage trauma around being a a a woman of color living in a town that was predominantly white fed into my anxiety and being in environments like gyms where again, it was again, reinforcing the fact that I was different and my body, I felt different in my body. I felt different in my skin. So therefore the gym wasn't a place where I felt I could truly escape those thoughts, those Mm. ruminations on who I was as a person. Whereas with running, At that time, especially, and at that period of my running, it really was about managing myself. There was no one else around. I chose routes in those early days where there wasn't anyone else around because I didn't want to feel judged. I didn't want to feel judged for how I looked, the the, the trainers that I was wearing, um, how much I was sweating, how much I was breathing. So I chose routes that, although were safe for me because I kind of knew the areas, were routes that I knew I wasn't going to come... it it wasn't going to come into contact with like a local athletics club who were out like 20 strong doing a run. So because I didn't need anything more in my life at that time that felt as if I was being judged. I was already judging myself Mm. enough Mm. within the, the, the mental state that I was in. I needed to find an activity that, that I could achieve that, that pause when I was doing it, that clarity and even clear my mind for even five minutes of of those dark thoughts and that's that's something that is so so valuable and has always been really valuable to me in this journey in running and and going to the the the, going to the extremes that I go to now is it's still it's still about creating that space in order to block out the outside world and to allow myself to to cope with, deal with, work through the trauma that I experience in my life.
0: Mm. And how did, what was the kind of, when you got home, you said there was something had been planted in there from that first run and you you had that experience of being able to have that literal headspace did that last did you then go the next week or a few days later and you and it sort of snowballed on from there and you you it really set in as this very healing
1: habit that you had found you know what it it did and it's so cliche isn't it but it was that that endorphin release that feel good release that i got from that first run i was in pain for days i mean i could barely walk i was chafed I was like the DOMS were real you know yeah. delayed on it was just like oh my god what have I done to myself but then after I had given myself time to for the muscles to recover I felt this sense of like I want to go out and I want to go out and feel that way again I want to feel that feel that little bit of feel good again it was addictive hmm. and I have a very addictive personality so I got addicted to that feeling of like I can do hard things like I can do this hard thing this thing that for years I told myself I couldn't do Mm. I'm I can do it and it gives me that peace it gives me that escape from from the kind of the, the, the kind of home life that that I kind of need to create a new a new new for myself a new way to be in but it It became something that in order for me to feel mentally better, running alongside medication, and it's really important to say that alongside medication, Mm. gave me the sense of self and sense of I'm not so bad that I had been so longing for for so Mm. long and that was the addictive thing it was the endorphin it was that that sense of self that I felt when I was running that translated that feeling of wellness into every other part of my life yeah that was the addictive thing and and yeah I I've always been quite a goal orientated woman girl and so therefore I set myself these little targets I was like okay so what's the thing that I should aim for and it was like 5k so i'll aim for and it was before park run you know there was no park runs when i started running and then after i'd done 5k it was like okay well what's the next and it was 10k and it was so it was that natural progression in terms of distance so within a year of me running i i did my first half marathon and that was bath half marathon and i did it for charity and i did it you know i wasn't fast but it wasn't about being fast for mm-hmm. me it was about that it was about the completion of the goal which was the distance and to manage my head and my body around that mm. and i was you know i self coached myself so i would look on the internet and i would pull these plans off off the internet yeah and and it was really when i completed my first half marathon that i was like i think i'm ready maybe to think about running with other people you know my okay. i was managing my my depression i i just i felt more like myself and i was like i wonder if there are other people like me like mums mm. women and so i i found my local athletics club and so for years i i ran with them and and started running marathons because i was just always i've always been really I've always been really curious about where's our limit or where's my limit? So my physical limit, because I'd never come from like a sporting background. I was like, but what can I do? Because I never thought I could run. I never thought I could run. I was like, well, how far can I run? And then that's led me to where I am now. (laughs) <laughs> You've really
0: uh, push at finding that limit now. So, I mean, how has the last two years of lockdown been for you? Then, and and along with how you felt, because like we sort of mentioned a little bit before, it's a, it's been such a tough time for people who, um, whether or not you even struggled with anxiety or depression before, mm-hmm. now it's been there's so much more to go in there. Have you been able to run as you would? Well. Presumably not as you would want to, but because things have been slightly more restricted. But has Mm. it helped change things? Helped you, taught you anything that you didn't know about your mental health before and how to manage it? Or
1: I think that I think I I decided to um, close down my business literally a a month before the first UK lockdown because it had become I had realized that I had fallen out of love with it and it took me a long it took me a while to make the decision I was the main breadwinner in our family and it took me a while in order to come to that decision and within the couple of years before lockdown I had retrained as a run coach and a personal trainer and so it felt like as we went into lockdown it was very much like a new professional beginning for me but it was really difficult because i couldn't didn't couldn't have any clients I, I couldn't train any clients face to face um but i did a lot of virtual pt classes and and pt sessions and stuff like that but i think for me my anxiety was quite sky high because I was like, oh my God, I decided to close down my business. Like, what are we going to do in terms of income? I'm having to work this way now. My husband's a mortgage broker. So actually, even though they couldn't maybe view houses in lockdown, the, the mortgage market was still kind of, so, so I was kind of grateful for that. But I think the thing, my running didn't, it didn't really impact too badly on my running because at that point I had very much got into trail running and so I couldn't I live in the Cotswolds It within five minutes I can be in I can be in places where there are no other people and I have a dog so in the exercise that I was able to have every day I would just disappear onto the trails and that was for me during lockdown an absolute like lifesaver mm. the power of trails the power of nature Mm. and being amongst it and feeling feeling at one with it and running and walking and being in it both myself and with my family was very much for me helped me to manage my mental health through Mm. lockdown Mm. and I felt some days were really some days were really difficult especially as I said because I was trying to kind of trying to establish myself kind of within these Mm -hmm. new professions and and it was really really difficult I also take out a women's only running group so that all stopped during lockdown Mm -hmm. and I really just started to get momentum with that and that all stopped and and I'm such a people person I was worried about my women as well so I was Mm -hmm. like well you know if I'm if I'm struggling and I launched my women's running group in 2016 because of the power of running had had in my life. I wanted to create a safe space for women to to come for an hour, to be coached by someone that knew what they were doing. But first and foremost, it was all about having that hour for you. So it didn't it wasn't about paces. It was it was just about creating creating a platform for women to use running in order to help them to manage their mental health and and, and get headspace. So that all stopped. And I I hated that because I just knew how much some of my women got from that. So I'm quite empathetic in that way. So I was constantly trying to think of ways that I could engage with my women and, and what we could do virtually. And we did a lot virtually, but oh my god when we could open up a little bit and i could see them again and run around the the hills and with them it was just it was such a blessing for both for all of us like oh, yeah. me as the coach and them as them as women that were part of the community so it was really hard and then within that very early in lockdown we had something which impacted me greatly which was the murder of a black runner that that led very much to me thinking about my own place within the running community and very much opened up the trauma that I had experienced being a woman of colour, living in a very white, rural English town. And it brought up a lot for me, but it really made me think about the importance of safe spaces, the importance of feeling community in running and how for so many years I had been the only person that looked like me on start lines especially within the trail running community trail running is very white male middle-aged yeah. it, it, it is and i had come to accept that because the acceptance that i had had to come to grips with growing up was that they weren't people around that looked like me so therefore i was a target and you know, with the rise in Black Lives Matter after the the murder of George Floyd as well, it, it very much led to me lockdown for creating and finding other black people who ran tra- on trails and, and mountains and and creating black trail runners, Which which I think everything that I had been through in my life and in finding running and using running as a conduit to managing my mental health, I very much believe that what's for you won't go by you so therefore every every negative and every positive experience that had happened in my life led to led to me being in the position professionally we're in a lockdown in terms of me trying to understand what my life meant in terms of being a woman of color living where I lived and what I've been through. I I feel that it was always going to lead to me doing something like black trail runners. And that was the best thing to come out of lockdown for me.
0: And the other people that you collaborate with to set up Black Trail Runners, were they people that you knew already or nope. you had to seek people I out? I
1: had to seek them out. So when a mood was murdered and a black man was murdered while he was out running, doing an activity that I use in order to find headspace, it really affected me. It really affected me because it, it, it reminded me of situations and say about I had felt I was targeted for 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 the way that I looked, whereas other women who were out running weren't didn't experience that kind of thing. So these yeah. microaggressions and and outward kind of aggressions that I had felt, and no, I didn't know any other black people who trail ran. I mm-hmm. didn't see them when I would be at trail races. I would look around and I would be thinking, well, where are the black and brown people? because they're not here. So I would always think, because I'm not a fast runner, I just, I run up for a long distance. I would always think they would be ahead of me. I would think there must be other people like me here, but they're just ahead of me. Or maybe they're behind me, but they're probably ahead of me. But they weren't, they weren't, they weren't there. When I thought, well, how can I, how can I find other people? Are there, I can't be the only one. I, I reached out to a run crew leader of a run crew that's based in London and I said, look, I just want to find other people that look like me to run around trails with. Do you do anything? Um, And he was like, look, we, we don't do anything in trail running, but I've got a guy who's like really into the outdoors. I'll put you in touch. And he put me in touch with one of my Black Trail Runners co founders. And then we had various Zoom conversations like this and speaking the same language. And he'd been asking the same questions and doing loads of work around it. And then he was like, look, let's both of us go out and, and like see who else we be mother. And within like three weeks, I had touched, I had. Been invited onto an interview of a guy called Marcus Brown who does a podcast called A Runner's Life, and we'd been speaking about it. I'd then been listening to a podcast which another co-founder, Sonny, had been talking about the lack of diversity in trail running and how a lot of brands out there did not feature black faces, mm-hmm. how at trail races we were underrepresented, how it was kind of almost as if although we were out there running, there were people like us. It's like we're invisible. Mm-hmm. And 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 within a couple of weeks, I we... I had kind of brought together, we had our first Zoom call, a group of black people, men and women who loved trail running, but saw a problem in this lack of diversity. And those are all the co-founders of Black Trail Runners. Amazing. And your purpose is to
0: increase inclusion, participation and representation. So that goes through advertising, like you mentioned, brands needing Mm. to <clears throat> put a diversity of people in their advertising. So we always knew that there was an issue with not putting enough women or diversity yes. of ages or mm. diversity of body sizes in lots of brands of any sort. But increasing the inclusion by actively encouraging more black and brown people uh, to take part. I know you've written a letter to events. So how's the the response? Yeah.
1: I mean, we're a campaigning and we're a community and campaigning charity. So we were registered charity last year. So we, so there are two aspects to our work. So we know that there are barriers for black people when it comes to trail running and those barriers lie in access, skills and representation, Mm. But the first campaign that we, the first campaign that we worked on when we launched, which was we composed an open letter to UK trail race organisers, because at that point, how can you know as a business owner, whether you are not being representative of a certain aspect Mm -hmm. of society, if you don't even ask the question. So therefore, on race registrations, there was no question about ethnicity, so how can you know if you're being truly representative and you're catering to a section of society if you don't ask for it's like asking are you male or female?" male yeah th- th- those questions get asked well eight, how old are you are you male yeah. or female have you participated in a trail race before because they want to know who you are so that they can cater for you yeah but they didn't seem to be bothered about our ethnicity mm. so what we said is that in order to help us to make real change and we know that real change especially at like higher policy level comes. we need data yeah. and that data wasn't that there was no one that was collecting that ethnicity data so we know that based on the last census data 4.5 percent of the uk population identify as black or or black ethnicity mixed race etc but we knew, we we knew that such a small proportion of those people would be represented in trail running. As it as it comes, it's like less than 0.7%. Less mm. than 0.7%. And that's not, that's not because black people don't want to trail run. No. It's because there are barriers to participation. Mm-hmm. So we started, so the response, because it was at the height of BLM, it was when brands, it was like, can you remember Black Square Tuesday, where yeah. there was those black squares on Instagram? But what we wanted to do, like, we didn't want our voices muted, like, we yes. needed these questions answered. And, and the response initially was, it was good. It wasn't fantastic. But it certainly, there were certainly key brands, key events that that knew there was a problem and wanted to work with us and the first thing that we say to work with black trail runners is that if you can't commit to helping us with this small thing then we can't work with you because this is like this is a no-brainer for us like there is no reason not to collect ethnicity data Mm -hmm. and that opens the doors to conversations around well why weren't you doing that before what did you see trail running as being that you thought it was that actually you can see now that it isn't how can you seek to represent and to address these barriers to access if actually if you look at your own organization that you don't have a diverse workforce Mm -hmm. or that you're not um, investing if you invest in freelancers or consultants that you're not seeking to have a really diverse supplier base or How can you then translate that into how you go about addressing these barriers? Because you don't know what it is to live day to day having to having to beat down these barriers or having to ask yourself how can i get across them and these barriers access finances yeah. financial trail races particularly can be really expensive yeah kit shoes hundred quid yeah. for a pair of shoes yeah and apparently
0: it's free to run and actually and it's, this is the you biggest know, trope rubbish. ever it's it's, yeah. it's
1: rubbish you know mm. when the biggest tropes that we're hit with are all we need is a pair of shoes yeah but you know what, when it comes to trail running, you try and go out and run on the trails, especially on days like this and a pair of road shoes or a pair of shoes that aren't made to, run. like yeah. you can't do it, you end up injuring yourself. I deal with runners who injure themselves because they don't wear the white footwear. Mm-hmm. I deal with runners that injure themselves because they don't know how to, for example, because they've never been told. How to fuel yourself properly. How, you know, do I take something out to eat with me? How much do I drink? Where do I even go? These are the skills Mm -hmm. that, especially within the, the black and brown communities, like, you know, navigation. Like, I was, I went to brownies, I think, because we I just wanted something to do and as part of like a brownie badge I think I could remember somebody showing me a map yeah. I didn't learn to use a map no. I didn't learn to know how to what a contour line to to show you how steep a hill is until like two years ago when I started mountain running these skills are skills that stop people doing yeah. stuff like trail running yeah. because if you're worried about a being a black person or a brown person out in the countryside on trails anyway because of being othered mm-hmm. but then if you add to that i have no idea where i'm going i don't know what a footpath looks like i don't know what i don't even i'm some of some of the some of the stuff that we've done is like the different types of styles and gates in the countryside like they can be really confusing in terms of how to open close them lift them you know yeah so All of those, all of these things are things that stop, they are barriers, whether you want to believe that they are or not, or whether you believe that, oh, well, you should just know how to do that. Or, well, why don't you read a book or a magazine? Tell what book or magazine?
0: Yeah. And, you know, white people traditionally grew up in houses where there might be lots of survey maps because generationally that's it. people go out walking yeah. and hill walking and yeah. things and we, we would have we we're of a generation where you would have to navigate on a road map well people would tell you how to do that yeah. and you yeah. know and genera- these are your cultural again generation you know
1: and that's it and these are these are things that are norm- sometimes passed down from generation to generation mm-hmm. i come from a family uh, we were poor the outdoors for me, it was the local park. That was it. We didn't go to mountains. I saw mountains in books. I I never thought I would, I never ever thought I would get to the top of one. What seemed the norm for you in your life is mm-hmm. not the normal for other people in their life. And certainly yeah. within the communities that we serve, you know, that is not the norm. So therefore, if it's not normal, it's like, well, this is, I'm not sure that this is really a place for me to be. And then ultimately, it's like you talked about those books and magazines being around. How about if you see those books and magazines and they don't represent who you are? They're not. I remember the first first couple of years I started getting Runner's World as a subscription. You know, I was a mum of four. I didn't really see myself represented as a mum of Mm -hmm. four. Mm -hmm. Kids, I'm a good size 12, 14, curvy. Mm -hmm. Didn't really see myself represented there either. Mm -hmm. Woman of color, certainly didn't see myself represented there. So, representation is like it's massive. It's like when you don't see yourself in magazines or on TV programs or on podcasts or on websites when you want to go and buy a jacket or a hat, Mm -hmm. you kind of there's that subtle messaging that well maybe it's because i don't belong here
0: yeah
1: maybe in the marketing yeah it would be marketing to me if 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 they wanted me if i so therefore it's like you can't be what you can't see mm-hmm. when you see people like you doing things that you think you might like to do you think oh there she's having a go at that mm-hmm. and she looks like me and she's got the life that i've got and she's got kids too or maybe if I do even this one small thing that it looks like she's doing or she's I heard on a podcast, maybe I can have a go at doing and that's that's the whole representation. If yeah. you do not feel represented, then it's a barrier to you accessing whatever sport that might be. And it's yeah. massive for black people.
0: Absolutely. And and I think that the This Girl Can campaign. Started with that. And I know they had an issue with racial diversity in their first mm, yeah. s- series of those, which they definitely responded to as they progressed along. But I think that was the those were the first sort of adverts of women getting involved in sport who were all different sizes, ages, they were looking feminine and going boxing they were feminine whatever your yeah. representation you know had had the nails done or yeah. they that's what they cared about or they were lots of different sizes of people running because yeah. I think we have that represent that thought that you're a runner you look a certain way you need to have long, leap, leap, muscles, long legs like bouncy yeah. yeah
1: bouncy ponytail these are all these images that we've been brought up with yeah for years and almost we tell ourselves, especially when we're not in the best mental state, Yeah, that's not me, that yeah. I'm not doing that, that's not me. And I don't want, I know I used to say to myself, I don't want people to look down on me. I already feel bad enough about myself, especially in my episodes of depression and, and high anxiety. I just don't want another judgment. I yeah. just, I can't bear it. So therefore I won't do it. Yeah. And it will be for me, trail running's given me so much it's like I want to break down those barriers for women and, and and women of all shapes and sizes and women of all colors because it's like running to me is one of the purest forms of exercise we the first thing we do as kids we learn to walk our mothers and fathers they they hold our hands and they they say come on you can do it and they stand in front of us and and then we start running around you know I run around after my grandson and he's so fast and I look at him and I think he's just finding so much pleasure out of something that now at almost 40 44 i find so much pleasure from and it's for me it's just it's it's one of the best forms of 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 being of moving forward in this world
0: mm. Mm, i love that and um, I, I hi movement fans sorry to interrupt your listening today i hope you're enjoying the episode If you are, I would love it if you could leave a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts right now. If you're on your mobile on the app, click on the icon with this podcast image. Scroll right to the bottom where you see the ratings and reviews section. Tap the number of stars you want to give. My suggestion would be five. And then click the write a review link at the bottom. It literally takes one minute and makes a huge difference in how iTunes shows this podcast to others who are searching amongst all the thousands of brilliant shows that there are out there. Thank you so much for choosing this podcast and taking the time to review. It really does mean the world to me and I am hugely grateful. Okay, let's get on with the show. And uh, I just watched your film about the Ramsey Round again last night, having watched it at Kendall last year, and it it made me so emotional seeing how emotional all of you got when you got to the top of the Ben, and when you by the time you got back to the end. What was it about doing that in the way that you did it that made it such an emotional
1: event for you? I think it was funny because I'm, I'm as we spoke about before we started recording, I'm heading to, to Scotland for a family funeral on Thursday. And then I'm going to Fort William Mountain Festival to speak on Saturday night with... Simbaresh and Dio who were two of my teammates and I think for me and I think it's the feeling of the team as well that sense of community that sense of finding this mountain this mountain trail this mountain round that was created by a black man called Charlie Ramsey in the 70s and that he completed this Epic fifty-six mile, twenty-eight and a half thousand feet of ascent run in under twenty-four hours, and still, we're trying to change that. But still, so many people have no idea that he's a black man.
0: Yeah, me, my husband is an ultra runner. He that did. Like- he's done the Paddy Buckley, and he was like, "What? what? No way!"
1: Yeah. Yes, yeah, and 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 that Absolutely. right there is why we need that representation of Mm. of people of all colors and yeah for me black trail runners it's black people on mountains but that was i was never i'm telling you right now i never wanted to do a mountain round you know i heard about the buckley i've heard about bob graham i'd heard about the charlie ramsey i'm half scottish and i hold my hands up and i talk about it in the book i was sitting in a pub in the lake district in 2020 and a, a fell runner said and of course you know he knew oh of course the charlie ramsey round you know charlie being a black man and i i had no idea and i was so ashamed of myself i really was i beat myself up i, I should have known i should have known no one it wasn't there like it, mm. it i never read about him in any magazines yeah he never i'm half scottish the only ramses i knew were white people like and it was so, so for us, being there and treading some of the same parts of that route that Charlie had been on and that he had elongated the Trant round to create the Ramsey round and, and to stand atop some of those epic, like, ridges and, and look around and I saw black people and it was like, we belong here too, like, all of those years that I felt I'd looked around and didn't see anyone that looked like me. And now I'm standing on this epic, in this epic environment in the Highlands. And we look around on the last day and it's like everywhere we looked, we'd been. yeah. And it was just this sense of love and of belonging and of like, we belong here too. And, and to know, you know, to know that, that, that film, is gonna be around for years. Mm-hmm. And that there might be a, a, a black child, as I say in the video, like a black child or a brown child or or just a child that is, is like, wow, like that looks amazing. And mm. they look like me and I can have a go at doing that too. Mm-hmm. It's like, it meant even when we were doing it, we we were being filmed of course. And we just knew that it was the representation that for so many years growing up that we didn't see and that we love trail running so much and being in the mountains so much that we were creating we were creating that that thing like they could see it and they can be it. Mm-hmm. And it just it meant everything. And I still like you did last night, I was watching a, a cut of the film for the festival on Friday that I'm at. And I was crying again because Mara, <laughs> you 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 know you having it there it takes you back there immediately and I can remember when I one piece in the film where I'm kind of just looking ahead and it's just I'm on the verge of tears and it's just I remember that feeling of I knew at that point in the challenge I'd done what I came here to do with my friends with my brothers and sisters and people that I'll always have this relationship with and it was one of the most soul fulfilling experiences of my life. I, I really don't know. And it's really difficult for me now because I really don't know how I can better that. Yeah. And maybe I never will. Maybe I never will. And that's okay. But it was very, very special. And, and I believe part of the reason that I, I was kind of put on this earth is to, is to do stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And and maybe you'll do something as extraordinary, but not in the same way, because yeah. that was that was really special the way that you approached that, because you specifically made a team that was of different abilities as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that was, was so important, important to you. It's so important. Absolutely, it is. Mi- uh, mixed abilities. Many of the team were low-level runners, so many of the team live nowhere near mountains. Mm. I'm very fortunate in the sense of, although it's nothing like the Grampians, I live one and a half hours from the Brecon Beacons, so when I want elevation, mm-hmm. I go up and down Penny Van and up and down, you know, the Black Mountains. And, and... But a lot of the team don't. A lot of the team live near london and so therefore it was really difficult for them for training and netley who's the other female runner she had never been anywhere near mountains and she was older she was just about to retire from the police force but she was just so passionate about mm. representing and she says in the the film like representing for a woman of a certain age as well Yeah. And, And then you have Leroy Valentine, who's a great ultra runner and he's all about the nutrition and 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 he's hardcore. And and then you've got Simba who, you know, he was battling injury while he was there and Dio and Zuki, who's a military man and is so such a beautiful, quietly spoken leader. And together, we just kind of created this team through Zoom because it was in lockdown that we were training in and out of lockdown that when we met for that first time in Fort William the day before the challenge it was like we'd known each other for years and it was mm. like I knew I was with the right people but yeah that mixed ability is so important to me because I think that again that representation you get this feeling that well people that run and walk mountains have to be right a certain yeah. way, yeah, yeah or they have to like I love Nikki Spinks like she's always been a any woman listens to this, like she's always been a, a hero of mine and and when i was an innovate ambassador and she was an innovate ambassador i got to run with her and but you don't have to be Nikki spinks to enjoy yeah. these spaces and to oh, feel yeah and feel that you feel that you belong here too and that you can do your own epic challenges here mm-hmm. too like you can you can mm. do it absolutely because every challenge
0: is relative Yes, for Nikki, she has to keep on pushing her limits and yes. whatever she's going to do next, she'll have to keep on running and running forever. But for for me, it might be doing a two day hike or uh, you know or anyone else? Yeah, it's,
1: and isn't it amazing? Yeah, like for you, like, and for me, yeah, I, I'm kind of looking for the you know I'm I'm down to do the spine in in June, and it'll be the longest thing I've ever. Undertaken if I complete it, but even if I don't, and I'm trying not to think about that. But even if I don't, the training, the journey that it will take me to get to that start line in Edale, and just setting foot and being able to represent and being able to share my journey along the way, I know that it will help other people to think I'm going to do something, Mm. whatever that is, that's relative Mm. to them. And I think that's why I love about coaching women who are brand new to running. I do a lot of couch to five k is that I just see that kind of, I can't do it. I can't do it at the beginning. And then in 10 weeks, they're run walking or or whatever, a 5K. And it's like that sense of achievement is yeah. addictive. And it's just so inspirational.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. So, I mean, I guess one of the big things, like we talked about, you had so many, at the beginning, you have so many hats, being a mum of four and a grandmother of three. And you've got all of these um, groups that you're training and things like that. So when you started trail running deciding to do a big huge challenge and we can talk about the different things that you've done but deciding to do a challenge is one thing but actually doing the relentless training preparing yourself for it and all the rest of it that's it's a whole other thing entirely isn't it so how did you manage that around family life and work life and also just having some relaxation some downtime
1: i think that the so the first that how i got into trail running was that i was i i needed to my 40th birthday was like in two years and i had stopped drinking i'm in recovery and i knew that in order to i wanted to do something for my 40th birthday that would kind of help me to celebrate like being on this earth you know really and and yeah i was a mother and and i love my children but i needed I wanted to do something physical and so I signed up for the Marathon des Sables, which is the ultra marathon in the Sahara Desert and I knew when I was when I looked at watched the documentary on the Discovery Channel with James Cracknell anyone that's seen it and he's like being sick and he's hallucinating and I was like oh my god why would anyone do that to themselves oh my god but then that little spark inside me after I'd finished watching it was like oh my god could that could I do something like that And then a couple of months later, I was like, hop my finger hovering over the button to enter 2018. (laughs) And I knew that it would be a massive, I don't call it a sacrifice because it's a choice I make. So the choice I make that I, there would need to be serious training. And how I knew that I had to manage it was that I had to, in order to feel the best mum I could, I had to get my training done before the kids woke up. So... I would go out, and I would like wake up. At, I would wake up at like half four in the morning, oh my God. and I would get out the door at five, and I would make sure I was home for like seven, half seven during the weekdays. And then at the weekends, where it was longer, back to back runs, I would get up even earlier because I never wanted, especially at the weekends, to encroach too much on that family time. Yeah. And even though, and, and it was, and I'm I'm telling you now, any any mum that does it that says that it, they're not absolutely knackered during the day at certain points is either superhuman <laughs> or lying because like I would sit on a Sunday I would get home I would do stuff with the kids we'd go to the garden center or whatever make dinner I'm like, you know I my eyes would be like being held open with matchsticks <laughs> but I knew that I still needed to be there for them so it yeah. t- it was really I had to be so mentally focused on the incremental goals before marathon day sub in my training. So like, what's it about? What's it for? It's like, keep your why close by. I always mm, say, "Yeah,
0: why
1: am I, why am I setting my alarm clock for this time in the morning? Because I want to get to the start line of the marathon day sab. And if I don't train at this time in the morning, I can't then go and get my kids ready for school. I can't take them to school. I can't work full time during the day to run my business. And I, yeah, I would go to bed at like stupid o'clock. I would go to bed at like eight, half eight. Yeah, right. yeah But like yeah. Neil, my husband, knew why I was doing what I was doing and he knew the the headspace that I got from doing it, how important it was for me to work to try and achieve this goal, what it meant to me to potentially do a race like the Marathon des Sables, which was just like the stuff of dreams. I only ever saw photos of the Sahara Desert in books at school. I'd never thought I'd be running there. So discipline, I was, I had to be so disciplined with myself to remember why I was doing what I was doing in order to get up that early in the morning. Mm-hmm. I also learned from women in particular that had done what I wanted to do. So I knew I needed to be coached and I wanted to be coached by someone that had been in the situation could tell me everything about what it was like to sleep in the desert at night and that had done quite well at the race. So I was coached by a coach called Elizabeth Barnes, who'd won the Marathon Day Startup a couple of times. I was in a privileged position in the sense that I could afford that. But more than anything, I would have given up other stuff in my life in order to afford that because I wanted someone to really understand what the race was about, who was coaching me. Mm -hmm. So I worked with Elizabeth and we went through various training cycles with little goals of other trail races and eventually ultra marathons in order to prepare me. So with what I do, I always, and I'll do the same for the spine race in June. I'm starting to go up to the Pennine Way this month. I put myself in the scenario of what I'm going to be in because I don't like surprises too much. Yeah, 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 And although I couldn't do that by going to the Sahara desert when I was doing uh, training for MDS, what I did is I went to the place that I could get to and I could afford to go to that is like the best at mimicking that environment. And that was Lanzarote. And with the, with, well, I'll do the same when I do the, pen, you know, I'm doing the Pennine way, the spine is the Pennine way. So I'll go and train on the Pennine way. And for me, for this woman, for me, it takes down the anxiety, the levels of anxiety. Yeah. I taking train, out the unknowns absolutely yeah. absolutely as far as possible in my life I like to deal with the unknowns yeah put myself in the position how am I going to react physically what am I going to be like mentally and this is across the board not just running so that I can be as best prepared as I can because there are always going to be out unknowns but ultimately, if I can take care of what it is that I can, then my mind is going to be freer to deal with those surprises that come up along the way.
0: Yeah. And how was your experience of doing the MDS? I mean, I've, I've heard you talk about how you found it so emotional by the time you got to the end, but spending nights in the desert and making sure that you fed yourself and carrying all of your kit to yourself and doing the double marathon on the long day, all of that must have been. Really, quite extraordinary. So, did the the training that you did? Did you feel like you have prepared yourself? Do you feel like doing it? You had prepared for your unknowns.
1: Yeah, I f- I felt when I got to the start line because a lot of people say about races like that, just getting to the start line is an achievement. Mm. Just getting there, not injured or only injured a certain bit. So, yeah. you, can start, you know, getting to the start line is like a major thing. So. Mm when i got on that plane to the sahara and i landed in wazazati and we got this six hour bus ride to the middle of the sahara desert i was like that's one box ticked i did you know what i can honestly hand on heart say that i did in my training everything in my power to do i did the early morning stuff i did the double days I went to a heat chamber for two weeks before I went to the desert. I found the heat chamber that was low to me. I went and I did it every day, fully packed up, fully kitted up, oh, wow. running in humidity and temperatures that mimicked what it was in the Sahara. I, ate, you know, I ate the best I ever ate in terms of fueling my body, so that when I got out there, I knew I had to be able to say to myself, Sabrina you did everything you could Mm. even if i had failed even if i couldn't have completed it i needed to be able to say to myself sabrina you did everything you could do in order to get you as as mentally and physically fit as you could and i did there is nothing more that i could have done and i think that for me that reward for that was being the 11th british woman across the line higher than mid-pack like Oh, that was, it meant everything to me. And I knew that it would be something that I could tell my grandkids. At that time, I didn't have grandkids. But I knew that I would tell them stories, I do, of the time that their granny ran in the Sahara Desert and crossed the finish line. It's like 11th British granny. I was probably like the first British granny. I don't know. But but. I knew that it would just be this in this bank of stories of my legacy that I can share Mm. with them and they can share with their kids. And that was so important to me. It was so important to me because because of my background and because I've had to create so much of my own. Yeah, these stories that I've had to create in my life that kind of have been about smashing boundaries or perceptions of me. And that was just another thing. I remember telling a friend that I was thinking of doing this race in the Sahara and he said to me when I completed it, I never ever believed you'd do it. (sighs) It just wasn't you like, it wasn't, you'd never even been to like anywhere hot like that. You weren't ever really that keen on camping yet. I camped in an open sided tent with like six other people who up until I met them off the bus were complete strangers. It's, it doesn't, it it sounds, and I know women and men or whoever listen, li, listening to this will be like, oh God, that sounds horrific. Or, oh my God, that sounds quite intriguing. Yeah. Let me tell you, honestly, I'm not special and different. I'm just someone that, someone that just wants to experience life in its fullest. And for me, at that time in my life, doing that race for my 40th was like, me experiencing life to the fullest wow. and it was amazing if you said to me spring i've got a ticket for mds 2022 even though i hadn't done any training i'd be like right i'm on the plane because wow. i just it was, honestly it, again. it was i want to do it again for my fiftieth. they say never do these things twice but <laughs> uh, it's just really it's just a really special place i think mm. and yeah, yeah how extraordinary so
0: And since then you have, you've done, uh, done lots of other
1: ultras. So did you do race to the stones whilst you were preparing for MDS? I did race to the stones while I was preparing for MDS and actually threshold sports who do race to the stones. I think if you're looking for an entry level ultra marathon, so ultra marathon being anything over 26.2 miles threshold who do like race to the stones, race to the king, race to the tower, race to the castle. It's so, so well organized and that was my first ever ultramarathon i did it over two days you run into a free at the end around the stones and, and then you got to do a bit more that they don't tell you about but oh my god like i camped overnight then and they've got a whole little like village with tents that you yeah. can kind of sleep in set up and oh it was amazing like the checkpoints. i love checkpoint i love ultramarathon running because of the checkpoints because there's like food, food <laughs> and drink and there's always like like medical and they'll look at your feet and they'll and they they mother you and who doesn't want to be mothered and are you okay take this you know it's only 10k to the next checkpoint and they've got all these motivational signs and that's what I love about ultramarathons you don't get that really in like a park run or you, (laughs) you get good support in a park run but I just love the fact you can go into an ultra marathon, have a seat have a cup of tea have some cake take lovely people sandwich. who are here to bring it to you <laughs> they're just here to bring it to you and it's just it's everything i love food yeah. being cared for yeah. and running like lovely yeah so and um, so race the stones was one of the ultras that i did in the run-up to mds but yeah i've done Lots since Cotswold uh, Way, you've done the, the Cotswold way, round, nearly, done the Ramsey round nearly. Yeah. Uh, um, so, traverse the Ramsey. I want to go back and, and tick off the monroes and the Ramsey that we hmm. didn't bag. and mm-hmm. that's like a little another adventure for me. Maybe yeah, this year, definitely. maybe next year. I don't think I'll get any when I'm up this weekend. But but yeah, I mean, a big thing for me is is uh, UTMB, which is the ultra trail. I would love to do the mm-hmm. big UTMB race one year. Qualifying criteria, so it may. may but I love mountains now I there is no better feeling than being at the top of a mountain knowing that my thick thighs (laughs) and my muscly bum has got me to like the top of a mountain and and I I love mountain running and walking now so a lot of the things I look at are places where it kind of takes me into that terrain because yeah the, the feeling of achievement that I get and again, because it was just not something I grew up with mm-hmm. of traversing different, you know, lowlands and highlands and mm-hmm. mountain ranges and ridges and is just yeah, is is where my heart is at the moment. I kind of haven't been to the mountains for a good couple of months. So I'm I'm quite eager to get back. So yeah, UTMB is kind of um is certainly kind of on my my list of things that I want to do. But for this year, it's very much about the spine in June for me.
0: Amazing. It's incredible. And also, before we finish, of course, I'd love to mention your book, which also is around about the same time as The Spine. So tell us briefly about that. And I'd love to know, is the process of writing a book similar to Ultra Running at all? Oh,
1: my God. Yeah. So the process. (laughs) Yeah, I can't believe I'm saying this, but yeah, I I've written a book and it's called Black Sheep and it's stories of rural racism, identity and hope. And it's very much a memoir with key stories from me being a kid right through to present day. It talks about the rural racism that I've encountered being a woman of color living in a very predominantly white market town in the Cotswolds, right through to founding black trail runners. And it talks about the Ramsey round. So it really, and being a teenage mother and being in recovery and my mental health. So I really wanted to, a friend of mine who's an author had been talking to me for a couple of months and said look you should put some of this down on paper and I was told very on in my career that I that my boss's four-year-old could write better than me as one of the the, one of the sticks he used to beat me and I that stayed with me I ran a PR company for 16 years and it stayed with me all my career to the the point where I paid people to write for me because I felt so crap about writing and (sighs) So honestly, to say that I am going to have my first book published in June is is like such a dream come true. But yeah, the process of writing it has been intense because I had to go back there to those mm. places. I had to relive mm. that trauma and convey it in a, in a way that people who aren't Black could yeah. kind of understand what that was like. And, and hopefully to help to facilitate a change in thinking around being a raw, living in these rural communities and what it is to be not the same as everyone else, yeah. but also. So that was difficult. That was hard. It was difficult last year. You might have been able to hear in the background we've been having a lot of building work done at home. So I hadn't had a safe space in order to write the book. So I was wow. having to go out and use a lot of coffee shops and stuff like that. And that's difficult when you're kind of going through the process of writing and tears are coming to your eyes mm. and you kind of So yeah, it has been like training for an ultra, but ultimately yeah, I think and it's been quite cathartic in a sense as well. In in the sense of really understanding the journey that I've been on and why even in the darkest times, when you cry out in the night and you, or as a kid, I used to kind of say, why are they doing this to me? Like, why can they just not leave me alone? I just don't want to be targeted in this way. You think why God, you know, I used to stay as a kid with my christened Roman Catholic, I used to say, why are you doing this to me? And the process of writing the book and what I do now is like, ah, It gave me the resilience or the tools or the understanding and the learnings to apply to what I do now and to make other people feel that sense of community and that they belong here too. And that no matter what you look like, what size or shape or sexual orientation you are, you belong here too and Mm -hmm. I think with the book it's like if through telling my story and, and opening myself up in so many ways to so many different things if I think if it can reach out and touch one person in order to make them feel community or wow that's me too or I'm gonna have a go at that or that what's happened to me in my life doesn't dictate what I do Yeah, job done that's yeah. all that's all I know when I was speaking to the publisher when I got my deal and they were like well you know what do you want from the book I'm like just for one person to hold it and to read it and for it to help them in some way yeah and that's all if it does that then that's a massive massive thing for me because I didn't have that growing up yeah you know, I didn't or I or there have been seminal books that I've read but i've I'd never had a book that that I hope speaks to other people in the way that my book does across the board. So you might not be a black person. You might not be a mother, but you might be somebody that hate that the thought of running is just like, "Oh my God, no, or you might be a teenage mum, or you might have been a teenage mum, and people had said to you, "You're throwing your life away if you mm-hmm. have this child, or you're never going to make anything of yourself. And you might still carry that within you, and that might still stop you from doing these these things that you think you'd like to. So I just hope that there, and I think there is, I hope that there's something for everyone in this book. And yeah, I just, I kind of, I have to let it go now because yeah. I've written it and the cover's being revealed in a couple of weeks and and then all the kind of, you know, the, the kind of pre-book stuff happens. But I feel as though I'm kind of just like letting go of like, you know, when you send your child to school, you yeah. know, the first day at school and you just kind of go, go now. It'll be okay, and you have to sit back and allow everybody (laughs) to receive it. And yeah, 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 you've got to. And that's so weird for me because it's just not something. It's not a title that I'm. I'm trying to get more comfortable with it. You know, I'm called an author, Mm -hmm. and but it's just not something like many things. I never, you know, thought I'd use activist or, you know, but it's something I have to get more comfortable with because whether I like it or not, I am. And I will be published on the second of June, and um, and yeah, it's a blessing, and I'm very privileged. And who knows what the future holds, but the journey is the journey is extraordinary. Uh, it certainly sounds like it has
0: been, and I really can't wait to read it. But I'm really looking forward to getting that. So, link on Amazon for pre-ordering is yes. going to be in the show notes, so you can pre-order it now. <laughs> you can just order it forget about it and it's just gonna land on it's your doorstep like a little gift that you've forgotten you bought yourself four months beforehand so. and you know what
1: you can read it and if you read it if, if you read it when it comes out then so I start the, the spine on the 18th of June we and follow then you your can dot. yeah you can see like you can be like oh that's what oh that's what that's why she's feeling it. yeah so um yeah. yeah the spine is my gift to myself for oh the good being yes you can release the book
0: and then just be like yeah, right, I'm off go and for and a really long run side. now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh Sabrina, thank you so much. what an amazing chat you've been so open and connecting with us in such a real way I'm so grateful for all you've shared and also all you're sharing with the world in general everything that you're doing with your book and you know the your podcast speaking and event speaking and things like that it's you're literally blazing a trail for women black oh. people and mothers everywhere so it's just. <laughs> Uh, wonderful thank you so much and thank you for giving up your time today
1: oh thank you so much for having me I've really enjoyed it thank you